Stacking them deep, selling them cheap. It tastes like gasoline, rubber, and victory. We're just out here stacking pennies. All right, guys, welcome back. Daytona version of stacking pennies. I am joined with my good friend Chuck Bush. Hello. Mr. Ice Cold Blue Mountain Take Jonathan Merriman. How you doing? And Pit Road Boats and Woes Analyst, Front Tire Changer for Brackazowski, Mr. Ryan Forth. Your hair looked like Carrot Top this weekend. I found a gif that you look like that with the humidity, and I want to send it to you. Pit Bull is out of control. It's out of control right now. But I don't know what to do about it because I'm committed to it. It's not going anywhere. It's here to stay. Is that, how does that work with helmets, though, like all that hair? Uh, it is a little bit tighter. It actually makes some pressure points on my helmet. I've had to knead it out with my thumbs and some areas on top because this hair is thick and helmets are getting smaller. So you missed the Blaney interview last week because you were you were doing some big-time auto racing sponsor stuff. I asked Blaney if he was worried about ever getting helmet hair because he, too, has luscious locks. Do you ever worry about the uh, the old beach receding a little bit, a little erosion taking place up there? No. No, my hairline's my hairline's in pretty good pretty good shape. Um, you know, I wear a lot of hats, but you know, I think what's the saying? You get it from your mom's dad. Mom's dad. Yeah. So my my grandfather had a pretty good head of hair, so I think I'm pretty good. Now, that's not to say that this thing's a little bit out of control. I feel like I think that I was going to be one of those purple minions for for Halloween. That's what I that's what my hairdo looks like right now. Now, speaking of that Blaney interview. I'm not saying I called my shot, but I did ask him if the Michigan win was going to open up that, you know, that being his first season with the second win, first multiple win season, does that open the floodgates? Do you get the third at Daytona? And then lo and behold, Ryan Blaney gets his third win at Daytona. Are you good luck, Chuck? Not really, because I was in your pit. Well, Corey pushed him to the win, so maybe. <laughs> yeah. At the, end of the, at the end of the race, I went to your pit to cover uh, – your team in case you got the win. Damn it. We were close. Yeah. Holy shit, Merriman. Did you watch it up there? I I did. And, uh, I was on my couch and I will have to say that almost lost a laptop because that race, the end of that race was crazy. When you made it through the, the second to the last wreck, you know, cause we talk about on the show all the time, you know, not, not to count the old seven out at Daytona, you put on a good show, hate it for you on the, on the last lap. In this particular instance, the 500 is different because it pays so much that you could justify riding the back, missing the wrecks, and finishing the top 10 because it pays five times more than what any other race in the schedule pays. So the orders were for our Spire team when we went into Daytona, the 500, we knew we had Jamie McMurray's a teammate. We had decent, fast enough cars to kind of keep up when we needed to, but our goal was never to race. Um, our goal was to start the year off with a solid payday and keep our cars intact for Talladega. That way we wouldn't have to buy another Speedway car. But uh, when we know that this was our last opportunity to punch our ticket into the playoffs, you could throw a Hail Mary, and, and you could hypothetically get into the playoffs as that last seed. And we took the reins off. Uh, we got we upgraded both cars. The 77s usually uh, on a, a couple tier or a couple spec old engines. And long story short of the seven engines before – Hendrick and ECR combined last, what was it, August or September. Uh, they had a bunch of parts remaining for that particular spec, so that's what we've been running on. It's not the current Hendrick spec or the ECR spec, but it's uh, it's pretty solid power. But we had everything that everybody else had this weekend and showed because we were up there mixing it up and led a couple laps and had some fun. 
So what's it do for your, your sponsors? Obviously, if you're up front, you're getting mentioned on TV. You were mentioned on TV probably four times as much as you are on any given race weekend. You, I know you can't get into numbers, but in terms of like paying for a top shelf motor, what's return on investment from, you know, built and, and having their logo on the front of the race car and up front in that pack? Yeah, so, I mean, it's a good question because this was actually the first race that uh, – Nick Greer and his sons ever came to first NASCAR race ever. So the bar was set pretty high and they obviously didn't get to see the broadcast because they were at the race and they were so pumped up, man. They were over the moon excited, but you know, I think that, you know, there, there's obviously the, the Nielsen ratings and stuff like that, that you can justify the amount of exposure they got throughout the course of the broadcast. My, my cousin, uh, after the race texted me, he said, you could add up all the time you've been on TV in your entire cup career. And it wasn't half as much as it was on Saturday night. So that was pretty cool to have, uh, to have Bill Barr on that car uh, for our stronger on Saturday. Cause you know, they're, they're a bit, they're a brand trying to grow and we've had some other good sponsors with Schluter and some others along the way, but to get Bill Barr that excited and to give those guys a run that they deserved was, uh, was pretty damn neat. And I'll say like from the perspective of, of being in your pit, when that was going on it was and i hate it it was the highest of highs and then the lowest of lows like the excitement of holy shit we're up there we're in third we're gunning for it we're competing for it to the mother the son of a yeah there was that moment like the crew alone yeah i got some uh some good shots of your seven crew sitting on the wall uh probably ready to go fight somebody well there wasn't really any need to fight but ryan before we got on the show asked more or less, he, he obviously didn't see it. He was in the pits, but he went back and watched the, the last two laps and asked what I would different. If you were driving it, Flores, what would you do? Uh, I think everything that I've ever driven, I've learned to get lead as quick as you can. You always want the lead. And, and I think especially, you know, if I was working with you, I, I would say, you know, take the lead as soon as you can get it. Especially you want to be there right when you cross the stripe for the white flag. You never know when it's going to end especially kind of the way that package was with everybody really pushing hard there. You know, on those green, white checkers, you say it, when you take the green on a green, white checker, you're committed to not lifting, right? So, you know, everybody else is committed to not lifting, which makes what happened on the backstretch inevitable at some point in time. Um, it's just a, it's just a bad shove. So yeah, I would, I would always take the lead. I know that you, you probably learned from that, but this is, I mean, really for you, it's the first time that you've been able you've you've had really good finishes and and you know came away with, with some really good results but you've never been up there having to restart you know in the first two rows being in the middle of the pack when it's time to pit uh, doing all the stuff right showed a lot of maturity uh, on your end and kind of shows that not to kiss your ass too much but like all the work you've been putting in the years before and have all added up to that to be able to have a good showing hell you about dumped it one time on the top there with the eight and the 20 i thought you were i thought you were wrecked or at least right side in it so uh so yeah it was good obviously you didn't get the result you wanted but the only thing that i would do different is just take the lead as soon as you possibly can and maybe shortcut the corners there when you're on the bottom a couple things there during our competition meetings leading up to the week obviously uh, there was going to be no really team orders. The orders were going to be go have some fun and try to put yourself in position to win. And if, if you crash in the first stage, then so be it, right? But when we started going, uh, we started kind of picking them off and found some good lanes and, and cycled to the front. And that for me, to your point, was the first time I've been able to race up in the front. And you learned from a guy like Joey. Hell, I was following him. I said this on backseat drivers, Merriman. 
earlier. It's like I was in the top lane, probably fifth or sixth car in line on the top lane, pushing Joey. You know, and you kind of like take a lap or two off and you're just like getting your heart rate down and you're looking up to the leaders and kind of seeing which lane's forming. And next thing I know, I look in front of me and Joey's leading the outside lane like four laps later. I'm like, how the hell did he do that? So just by like seeing them guys and seeing the moves they make and, you know, how they block or what they do with particular runs, you know, it was like a, it was a damn super superior lesson for me all day. And, and it was, it was super fun. I didn't know, I knew that uh, I wanted to push the 12, my, my train of thinking the green, white checker, I'll, I'll just go ahead and do the whole thing. When we came out of that wreck third, I knew I was going to obviously be second car inside. I didn't know who I was going to be pushing because the leader can choose the top or bottom and Chris chose the top. And I learned from pushing Joey on a restart prior to that. Joey was the control car and I was third as well. And Coleman, Joey spotter told TJ, my spotter that he wouldn't fire until I got to Joey's bumper because he knew how much uh, having two cars linked up was, was better than just trying to time to restart. So I knew that that was kind of the way to do it, judging off restarts past. And I wouldn't have known that had I not been, been in that position early in the race. So when I got to the back bumper, the 12 getting the restart zone is when he fired and we both were able to link up and, and go and get positioned to, to get later, you know, away from kind of the riffraff and the run he was talking about that I didn't take. I had a good, three seconds to think about do I take this and go for the lead now or do I push and I still believe I've, I've watched it back no less than 10 times I still think that I chose the right one but that would probably be the only thing I'd done different is, is tried to take the lead into three when I had the run with Harvick pushing me but the problem was I had no friends I was circled by a bunch of Fords and there was not a Chevy in sight so I knew Ford had the most stringent OEM, you know, partnership orders or whatever there was. I knew I was a sitting duck regardless. That's why I wanted to get down to make my run later into three on the white flag, but it just didn't work out. I, I got a question for you. And this is, you talk about like that experience of knowing what to do up there up front in the lead to take the lead. And at a super speedway race, you know, that's one of, everybody kind of says it's the equalizer, if you will. But you've got now, if you look at your career, what, 20-some-odd super speedway races that you've run in? Of those, like, how many have you been up front? What's the learning curve from racing, you know, back in 15th back to 25th versus being in that top 10? If you've got one or two ex times running up there versus 10 times running up there. Uh, let me consolidate Chuck's question. How many times does it take for you to be able to see the air? <laughs> Merriman is the Chuck interpreter on this. Out of every single speedway race I've ran in the Cup Series or really Xfinity Series, I've only ran one super speedway race in an Xfinity car or a truck. All of my super speedways have been in a Cup car. That was the first time there's ever been an opportunity for me to race from start to finish, ever. You know, everything else, you know, we've had some good finishes. We finished sixth in the Coke 400, 11th, 7th, 9th, whatever, at Talladega a couple of different times. But none of those times have I been in the mix more than 15 laps to go. Eight to go was always my number to engage. And if you get caught up in that, then so be it. But in our competition meeting throughout the week, I, I kept saying, it's like putting a nickel in the jukebox to hear the song you want all day, right? It's like, it's picking up Martin Truex Jr. lap 14 when he gets shucked and pushing them or pushing Joey or leading the line on the bottom with Chase pushing you. That way people can see that you have a fast race car. That way, once the chips are on the table, 
somebody is more apt to push you than somebody else or not to leave you hanging for dry. And that's why we were in the position we were at the end of that race, because we were up there racing and people saw that our car had some speed. So I learned a bunch, you know, and, I, and it's a lot of fun. There are, there are times where it probably is more beneficial to be conservative and not go up there and race, but you're never going to win. I don't think, and I'll stand by this. You're never going to win a speedway race by waiting in the back and riding ever. You could finish sixth, you can finish fourth, you can finish, you know, have a good day, but you're not going to be, you're not going to win the race by waiting around for 398 miles and then jamming in there with two to go. And trying to it doesn't happen. When the follow-up to that is we've now seen Ryan Blaney get three wins this season and he's arguably one of the better speedway racers on the circuit right now, but he's lost them before. He mentioned it in his interviews that like, there's that, I've got to be the leader now at Penske. You guys are roughly the same age. You've come up at around the same time. Like, what are you seeing in Blaney that he's learned that he's now applying to his career? I think it's just experience. And he's been in positions where he's figured out what not to do by doing it the hard way. It's like, you don't figure out how to, you know, win a race without losing a bunch of them. And Jeff Dickerson, who's an owner of Spire, called me yesterday. I was sitting out, mom and dad's hanging out. And he's like, he used to spot for Kyle Busch. He used to spot for Jeff Gordon. Uh, a bunch of different guys and you know he said you've got to lose 10 of them to figure out how to win one just put yourself in the right position so you know I think Ryan's been doing it enough now with good enough race cars at Team Penske and he's lost them plenty enough times he's had good race cars and probably would have done a lot of things different but now he's starting to put them put complete races together and it's pretty cool to see because uh you know everybody seems to like old Ryan Blaney and it's cool to see him have some success. So you, you have the run of your life Saturday. You said you spent yesterday at the pool. You're back to work today. You're over there welding seats at your dad's. Yeah, I'm, I'm tinkering on some different projects. We're dabbling with some wheelchair stuff. I'm just trying to get going and, and possibly do a little bit of veterans work and, and start building some, some like functional suspension chairs. So that might be the, that'll be my passion project over the next couple of weeks to get that done. But yeah, I was junk, man it's like a mental drain. Uh, you know, and Ryan was down at Disney and then he did a double, almost a triple header. Cause he started with the Xfinity race and then he finished on Saturday night with the cup race. I sat there. I mean, granted we didn't leave, we didn't land until probably three 45, four o'clock in the morning. We got home late or early in the morning. So I didn't get much sleep and you're kind of still amped up from the night before and may or may not have had a couple whiskey on the rocks. So that always makes you feel pretty good the next day. So it was definitely yet to recharge batteries yesterday, but I'm ready to get after it, Mary. I mean, there's no days off here, but it's, it's always, it's always tough after a run like that or something because you're tired and then your adrenaline's going so much that you can't sleep. So you just go home and drink a beer, whiskey or whatever you got. But I talked to, have you talked to Logano yet at all? Yeah, he was going to a Blippi concert last night. I hadn't reconvened with him how it went. <laughs> he, said, he said, the one thing he said to me is, he's like, hey, how cool is it that uh, Coleman, me, and Corey, and she were all working together? It's like everything comes full circle. He said, it was like we're a freaking victory lane carding when we were 15. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, that's something, you know, they made that, that switch, and Joey took Coleman, who was on the two car, and – uh Brad has TJ because that's what they're going to do probably moving forward. It looks like TJ might move to Roush with him, but that's what, that was his, what was cool is that was his takeaway from those restarts. Like I was sitting there on those restarts thinking like, Holy crap. And it's just cool to see, you know, what our friend group's done. So that was, that was a, a cool takeaway from that. Coleman's really, really good. Yeah. Well, actually I run into Coleman in the airport afterwards and he literally had his laptop 
open with like he was downloading SMT and he was like, granted he was spotting for Joey and they had they cut that tire down so they were out of the mix. But he was like, yeah, look, and like we literally sat there and he pulled it up on SMT like this is what I would have done. You timed your lift right to back up to the four and he told me the same thing. It's like he probably would have used it in three, but situationally you got to go with what you feel. And, and that's what I committed and didn't work out, but you know, chalked that one up as the first one we've had a position to win and we, we didn't seize it, but it, I, I assure you this Chuck, it was a damn good time. If I haven't gotten 40 people send me like reaction videos of their kids on the couch or something cheering, that's the stuff that, uh, that makes you feel pretty good. Just cause people are supporting and, and get pumped up when the old sevens up there dicing up with the leaders. There was an excitement down there in Daytona. Like there always is. It's it, it's always like that. But there's just something about that track. And I, I don't know what it was being down there. Now, this was also the first time I had shot a camera at a race since probably the Daytona 520. So at the beginning of the race, I failed miserably trying to uh, there's a shot. So you were sitting on the, the pre-race stage and I saw you look over to the camera and then like play to the camera. It's like that. None of those shots are usable. They're out of focus. God. Because they're out of focus. Damn, dude. It. I am not a camera guy. Let me just say that. I luck into good shots every now and then. Martinsville, I got the uh, Logano Hamlin incident just by sheer dumb luck and Jonathan Merriman saying, hey, go over there. Dumb luck is, is I think, a lot of the, the camera work. Also, a lot of skill. The good ones have a lot of skill. There was an energy down there, but there was also just a humidity down there. And for Flores... I want your take on that whole pit in the Xfinity race and then the cup race. That's a long day. How's the, uh, and you're probably going to talk about it in pit road boats and woes here in a little bit, but you know. And the teacups. Don't forget the teacups. He's on the teacups <laughs> yeah. too. How do you prepare mentally for that? Xfinity days, like back being on Xfinity, I feel like I walk like 10 times more. I don't know if it's like the garages are further away or, or what it is, but I just feel like I'm walking all day and it's just kind of Xfinity days. They're short, but they feel long. And then usually like I'm up early in the morning and that was like that the next morning, you know, rainouts are kind of draggy and you just want to eat everything in the truck. So you feel like crap. And we didn't get back to the hotel after eating dinner till like midnight. Everybody was worn out. My hotel uh, room got messed up. So I was like downstairs to like 1230. I kept they kept giving me room keys to other people's rooms. So everybody thought I was like breaking into their room, which was super awkward at midnight finally got to bed at like 1230. And then by the time, like, I just wanted to keep hitting the snooze button because you had to get there early and get your stuff set back up and um, make sure that the rain didn't kill your pit box. And then we wrecked like eight laps in anyway. But I feel like the pit stops aren't the hard part on a day like that. It's moving tires, setting the box up, trying to stay hydrated. And then, you know, to do it all again, just a couple hours later with the way the humidity was, I was spent. I have a, a follow-up story about wrong room key. Chicagoland 2017, 2016, 2017, the double tree in Downers Grove gave me the wrong room key. And I put it in and opened the door, and there's this dude sitting on the couch and nothing but his boxers, just like mortified. <laughs> and I just like walked in because those rooms are set up like embassy suites almost. And he's just like, uh, and I'm like, uh, wrong room. Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, awful. That's always the worst, dude. It's always the worst. Was it someone that you knew or was it just a totally Thank random guy? Thank God they were like dead bolted. Like, so you would like go to get in and like the one room I was like beating the door down. Like, don't, don't, 
And I'm like, what is going on with this door? And I was like, my luck, this is going to be Austin Sendrick's mom. And it's going to be like so <laughs> awkward. Like I felt like I was like, man, I hope this isn't like somebody from our team or like, you know, like uh, I, just anybody where it's going to be awkward. I was hoping it was like one of my pit crew guys as well. But um, thank God nobody came to the door and I realized what was going on before it was too late. Yeah. Uh, that was that that sucked but yeah it's a that was a long day man and everybody felt like crap yesterday i got a question on i I missed it on the broadcast because i was working i didn't hear what was going on but just the visual of austin getting out of the car and then going and sitting on pit wall was he pissed oh he was pissed on the radio he was mad but dude think it's just all about the work you put in right and you can put as much work or as little work in the speedway racing as you want. But when you go there and you study film and you work with your spotter and you put the amount of time like Austin and Coleman, like film reviews and the stuff that they work on going through SMT. I think that's the most frustrating part about speedway racing is you put in so much work and then it's all down the drain on lap 12 because one guy pushed you the wrong way through the triable. Right. And that's where, that's where Austin's frustration was is like, we had a good car. We had a good strategy. We were, you know, if everything goes right, you're surely in position to win that race. He just felt like one guy ruined it for him. He was frustrated and dejected. You know who, you know who else was dejected, Chuck, was Ace Dillon because he lost his bank. Dude, I was dying laughing at that. It's like when you drop something in your in between your car seat in your regular car. They they had people in there. Did they ever find the binky? That's what I'm wondering. They found. Dude. Yes, they found it. The interior guy had to climb in the car to get it out. But it rolled. He dropped it in between the gear shift and the seat, and apparently it had rolled all the way, like, directly under the window so that everybody was looking in the wrong spot. But back to Austin Sendrick, and this isn't bad-mouthing anybody, right? This is just what had happened. So Sendrick was on the radio, and he was giving Myatt Snyder the business, as Ron Cherry would say. Uh, And all of a sudden, Marty pops up, in Cindric's pit box like he's the one reporting on it i'm like oh is marty gonna come over here and and talk to austin about his kid like ruining his day because austin was heated i just thought it was funny that austin just chose to go sit down not saying he skated an interview or anything he was just mad and protocol is go sit on pit wall but i i thought for a second we could have had a had a little bit of more drama on the on the interview i don't know why it works out this the way it does but NASCAR storylines just always deliver on making something as awkward as possible. Whether that be when two guys, remember when Cole Custer and John Hunter Nemechek fought each other at uh, Canada, and then the next week they were riding in the driver intro truck together? Like NASCAR had, like, no matter what, if you get into a quarrel or some beef with somebody, you know you're going to be prancing across that bridge while it's on fire. I mean, that's just how NASCAR works. I felt, I felt like where Austin was sitting with his helmet on, he looked like the tallest, skinniest gas man ever. Right where he yeah. was. I was like, somebody hand him a gas can. It's like, it, like just the visual of it, like without any context, like just watching him sit there with his helmet on, like was just, it was funny to me. Like, I, you know, I, I, you, you feel bad. The guy wrecks out like that. But at the same time, visually, that was very entertaining. It's very cartoon-like visually. It's just like. It's gif It's gifable. 
I think the best awkward racing moment I've ever been a part of or really heard of, I wasn't there, is when our, our good buddy uh, Brandon McReynolds and Corey wrecked each other racing late models at uh, Concord. And then Brandon showed up to Corey's house to have a sleepover. <laughs> we were running, I don't know, fifth and sixth, fourth and fifth, running pretty good. And we're babies. We're you know, 15, 16. <clears throat> and I, I never ran well that early in my late model career and Brandon, you know, he had the, he had a couple of full-time guys and the stuff was pretty dialed in. And my dad was spotting for me. So as you can imagine, Randall Joy is not the best spotter. Uh, even like, he's not even like a good spotter. He cleared me into one. Well, little did I know Brandon was on my left for a quarter and we both crashed. I left side door to in the fence, Brandon right front of the fence. And we came to rest nose to nose Similar to my dad and Dale Earnhardt, it's Charlotte, and the dad was in the Bud 50 car and Earnhardt were nose to nose. Like, I'm looking at him, like, me and you. And we're, for some reason, I mean, obviously, Brandon was upset that he crashed or whatever, and, and we're trying to get our car loaded up with casters, and dad's dog cussing me up to one side, down the other. And Brandon comes over. He was going to spend the night beforehand i put a little context to it beforehand we, our plan was he was coming over and we we're gonna have a pool day or whatever and do whatever 15 year olds do eat goldfish and he was he comes over we're trying to push this thing in the truck and brandon's like when y'all gonna leave what do you mean you're not staying over with me no no my mom left i don't have a ride <laughs> like i have to come home and stay with and we we drove to the shop and now, instead of dog cussing me, dad gets dog cuss me and Brandon. And we pulled this thing into the shop and we're trying to get it out. I mean, the thing was absolutely destroyed. And meanwhile, Brandon's, you know, over there just eating away, hanging out. It was uh, never what I expect. Somebody who, if I crash somebody to stay over the night at their house, but you get Randy the joy. You're going to wreck my car and come over here and eat my food, eat my food, clean out my cabinets. <laughs> he did say that. Oh man, that is a Brandon now the spotter for Ross Chastain who had a who had a good run too going before he just got wadded up. He, he did have a good run going. They were aggressive all day, made some cool moves. They led some laps, pulled some lines. So there was a couple guys threw their name in the hat to try to punch their ticket. But now Merriman, we have sixteen set, right, wrong, or indifferent. These guys will be chasing a twenty twenty one NASCAR Cup Series championship. So give me an ice cold cold take on who you think is going to take it. I know you disagree, Lou. I think Blaney's going to make the the championship four. I do think there's some to the momentum. I uh, I think he's going to win two more races before the end of the year. I think I think he'll be the lead car at Penske. The floodgates are open. Then okay, that's a that is a take there. I think there's an avenue for McDowell to make the next round. Yeah, that's I'll leave it there. That's a narrow that's a narrow valley. Hey, there's daylight, so you know. No, there's not. There's not much daylight in terms of McDowell advancing to the, the round of 12. You've got Stuart Haas Racing running bad. A couple of other guys who I think could have some trouble at these racetracks. You know. Here we go. A little roundtable question, Chuck. We got three races. Darlington, Richmond, Bristol coming up. Who are first guys out of the playoffs? Mm, do, 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 do. First guys out. I'm going to say Kevin Harvick. Michael McDowell. Whoa. Um, who else? Who else? Who else? Here's going to be a big one. Here's going to be a big one. Another big one. Uh, Kyle Busch out after the first round. Kyle Busch not making it to the second round. And Did you drop acid this morning? <laughs> Look, I'm just giving you a gut reaction 
just quick hot take. I'll take the cold takes if that. I'll I'll, I'll fill the role of Jonathan Merriman with these. Um, <laughs> well, and then then I'm gonna go with the other one, uh, Tyler Reddick. So, all right, interesting take there. You know, we do know that all it takes is one flat side of dog from stretch to cut a right retire down an injured day. Um, so. There's going to be one of two things. Tyler Reddick is going to be on the fence, hauling ass, or he'll slip a little bit, get a right rear tire cut down, and his playoff chances will be over, being that he has one playoff point. I believe one playoff point. Um, so I'm going to go with this. I'm going to say, actually, Tyler Reddick goes to the round of 12. I think he goes on a little bit of a run. I think both Stuart Haas cars are not in the mix come whatever the first race of the round of 12 is. So the 10, the 4, the 34, and I'm going to go, man, as strong as the Hendrick cars are, I don't know. I, for some reason, I feel like Willie B, he gets around Darlington pretty well, but I don't know. I, they, they don't have a whole lot of momentum right now, I don't think. Yeah, I have a, I, I'm looking at it here, and I, you know, William Byron sticks out to me, but I, the thing that I think Stuart Haas cars are the easy answer, but you look at how well, how well they ran at, new hampshire we won new hampshire last year handily crossed over to richmond i'm not sure if the tire is the same as as the uh, tire at richmond this year maybe you know that but if it is look for the stuart haas cars to be super fast at richmond one asterisk next to eric almarola's big win at new hampshire is that the gibbs cars did wreck leading due to some rain so he didn't have to contend with you know two or three really good cars and uh the 22 might have had the best car there he got put two laps down and came back. So a couple guys got out of his way, still won in dominating fashion, and that same package will be run next week. I'd say if Tyler Reddick doesn't have a good Darlington, he's out, but he could surprise people at Darlington and go on a run. I've changed tires for Tyler in the truck series, and he is very much a confidence guy. If he's confident, he's good. If he's not, he will be out quickly. One thing to be said about their pit crew bunch of old dudes that have been in the sport 15 plus years all of them and they are badass right now they might be the best team on pit road they're just throwing caution in the wind so we'll be interesting to see what happens to them the pit road woes christopher bells in that in that issue right now gives is dealing with a lot of covid protocol stuff a lot of guys have been out lately using a lot of backup guys so if they can't have their full roster for christopher bell at darlington it could really hurt him and uh he could be out too hendrick cars for some reason um Alex Bowman has not been good lately, but he's got a lot of points. If he gets through this round, he can keep back up. I mean, was, I mean, what's he an analyst now? Kurt Busch is out though. First round. Kurt Busch is out first round. What's this guy? Larry McNuggets. Who's this guy? Captain. If you need to walk down the building, I'm the walkway. Yeah, walk down me. All right, here's my four. Uh, I think both Haas cars are gone. I think Christopher Bell's gone, and uh, I'm glad there's. Uh, miles and miles between us because i think that the wheels are going to fall off the two car that's not a that's not a pun dig at uh at the the tire changer there but <laughs> you could have said that better you could have said that better uh yeah anyways i i don't know i mean the guy's out the door next year uh blaney's clearly hitting his stride this is just me talking but I think the ship has sailed. I think the 12 is the new two. The thing I will say about the 12, that like your take on he's going to make a run to the championship, and I know it's not a make or break or anything, 
But to me, I want to see how he runs at Richmond because that's been a track that he has admitted is not one of his favorites. And if he's truly on a heater and he's truly making that run, if he performs well at which Richmond, Richmond Raceway, <laughs> Richmond <laughs> Raceway, I think that's a strong choice to make it to that final four. I don't disagree with that, Chuck. I feel like that's a good take. Well, hell, why don't we get into some pit road boats and woes after the break and we'll come back, talk to our guests, and then we can break down some jackpot races and tell who y'all should hammer this week at the Lady in Black. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now we're back. Another installment of Pit Road Boats and Woes Daytona Speedway Edition. My good friend Ryan Flores. How was your doubleheader day changing the 22 and the 2? Wait, well, I didn't change anything on the 22 other than my fire suit into my fire suit and then back out of my fire suit because we wrecked uh, before we did a pit stop and the two car, you know, we, it was kind of just a weird day, you know, and we lost the, we lost the pack there when we pitted, we kind of got too far back when all the Fords pitted and we lost the draft us in the 14 and actually went a lap down, ended up getting a lucky dog pitted again. And then and ended up getting, we got wrecked once beat the left front fender out, went back out there and then got killed uh, with like five to go. So long day, hot, sweaty, but uh, made it through. There probably wasn't, you guys probably didn't do, but one or two four-tire stops all day, right? We did two, and then we did um, two more because we were the lucky dogs. We just came and put tires on it. And then we did another one with damage repair. So we actually ended up doing four. But if everything played out, it would have just been uh, fuel when you could make it through the stage. And then at the break, four tires is, is kind of what we were going with. Yep, we are doing the same. We're going from Daytona where tires don't really matter per se track position matters more we're going to a place at darlington you can change 13 14 sets of tires what do you guys do to prepare yeah. for a long time like that it's a dude this is a grueling weekend and then put xfinity on top of it it's a day race right so that's even more brutal it's going to be hot it's, it's always one of the hottest races of the year it's a place where you need to fail fast because with that many pit stops you're gonna you're gonna jank one up at some point in time right you need to get over it and be ready for the end a uh, place where right fixing the right side is going to happen at some point in time and you have to do it um especially if it's just minimal damage you have to do it without losing as much time as possible so awareness is huge and uh yeah it's it's just a flat out pit competition especially when you get into the later stages of the race and more people get a lap down and at the end there'll probably be 15 cars on the lead lap and uh and it'll be you know those 15 guys coming down with uh you should have once once you get that many cars lapped down it kind of makes it to where you're not 
coming around a car. Everybody's pretty much coming in their box straight and it's just, uh, let's see, let's see what you got. And for the 16 teams in this deal, man, it's a, it's an awesome, it's an awesome opportunity. I was thinking about that yesterday, kind of, you don't realize what this time of year means until like, like I've been in it now for the last eight years or whatever it's been, I've been at Penske, but before then, you know, being on teams where you, you just wanted that chase hat, you know, and you realize how lucky you are to do it. And then, you know, pressure is a privilege. You keep going on and the pressure gets more and more and each pit stop means so much more, especially where we're at in points and 10th, you can't lose anything. So uh, it'll be a grind to try to make it to, uh, to the next each round. Who is a team where that might not have to speak competitively, but has a good enough pit crew that can almost carry them first uh, a round or two to get them deeper in the playoffs than what their speed might be capable of? Yeah, I think there's two guys that have had outstanding pit crews all year that that aren't in the news enough, and that is uh, – so all year a team that's been a top three team is Kurt Busch's team. Those guys at Ganassi have been really, really good. They can keep him – say say he's got an eighth-place car and they keep, you know, passing a guy or two on pit road, all of a sudden you're in the top five and you have a, a chance at it, you know, with 10 to go if you pit, and they keep him up there all day. Another one, as we touched on before, is Tyler Reddick. They found a lot of speed, like, in the last 10 weeks they've been – super fast where RCR was kind of, they were kind of fading, you know, they weren't, they weren't really on the radar. Uh, one thing that's going to be interesting is for the 16 teams that are in it, we obviously know what's on the line and that they'll be prepared, but for the, the rest of the field, do they move on? Paoli is, um, you, you can get your guns next year's one lug, one lug nut guns, September 1st. So do they just, abandon practicing five lug nuts and move on to preparing for next year or do they do it one day a week what does that look like that's something that is going to be in the forefront of everybody's minds because it's coming right so if you're once once you're out of the playoffs do you start preparing for that and what does that mean for the rest of your season for, for for like for us even if the two car gets knocked out somewhere along the lines our team is still doing the 22 xfinity car pitting for a championship there so that you know five lug nuts has to stay on the forefront for us at all times but what does that look like moving forward for other organizations? Speaking of one lug nut pit stop, I've been hearing some rumblings that a fast one lug stop is going to be sub 10 seconds. Yeah, I would say, you know, you'd see single digit, you know, nines, you know, nine second pit stops is, is definitely in the realm of possibility. I would also say that you're going to see a lot of mistakes at the beginning of the year. I'm sure, you know, we still have a couple months to uh, iron iron everything out. You know, everybody does. But if you drop it early now, you might go out there with four lug nuts instead of five on the left front. You know, if you drop it early uh, next year, you might go out there with uh, three tires instead of four. It's definitely something that I'm going to monitor uh, closely and try to watch um, and learn from other people that are doing it. But five lug nuts is uh, there's still two rings to get. Uh, for me at the end of the year. So that's something that I'm going to be focused on. Heard that. They, one last thing, Darlington pit boxes are some of the most odd and quirky. Uh, there's a little cutout about a quarter of the way down pit road. So you try to, what do they call it, the island down there? Yeah, the island, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's always, there's two islands, right? There's one in the, in the back where Victory Lane is, and then there's kind of one in the front too after the pedestrian tunnel. If you're down there, off of four it is loud as hell all day you just hear oh like everybody pedaling it it's just super loud up there one thing for you guys man that entrance to pit road 
is so far down there and you see people miss it green flag stops because it's like even further than you think and it's such a long pit road it's one of those places one thing there that you don't think about is that race starts you know in the daytime and the sun goes down kind of towards turn four so when you're standing on the wall looking down it's hard to see where your car is and it's just one of those real old school days of thunder like you're standing there the cars come down it's real dusty and it's blowing dust everywhere it looks like uh it looks like a scene out of days of thunder there at the beginning it's really cool it's really one of the coolest places we go i i remember a couple of years ago going there on the 21 car and leonard wood was out there holding the old 21 sign and doing our grill brush and it was like one of the coolest experiences uh of uh of my career so always want to win there and hopefully we can get two trophies this weekend yeah so the way they paved darlington or they the way they configured it back in you know 1940 whatever it was they the track was originally meant to be running the flat so therefore the pit road entrance would have been that would not have been that far off the racing group but then they just realized hey let's just run the banking because it's way faster and that puts it what feels like almost a football field away from the racing surface and it gets sandy there's a bunch of debris and rubber on it so getting on the pit road darlington is probably in the top two or three maybe the top most difficult to try to get down pit road for a green flag stop and it's inevitable at the southern 500 you will see at least one green flag stop and you will see some guys race or chance to win be lost because he lost or, or mess up on pit road darlington so let's see hopefully i don't have a pit road boats and well this weekend but thanks for uh thanks for your expert analysis my friend hey anytime Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. All right, guys, we're back. Very special guest on Stack and Pennies this week. He is the number, not 16, but 15 seed in the playoffs with a hectic night in Daytona Beach. Mr. Tyler Reddick, thanks for joining the show. Yeah, absolutely, Corey. Uh, we were having some fun up there for a while, and yeah, it was a crazy night for all of us but I was enjoying racing with you for a while there. How pissed off would you have been if I won and knocked both of you out of the playoffs? I wouldn't have been that pissed. I mean, I would have been disheartened for my team and everything, but uh, you were up there racing really good with, with some of the best the other night. And it was, it was really cool to, to race with you and uh, see how good you, I went back and watched the race uh, a- afterwards once we got home. You know, it was really cool to go back and watch and see some of the moves you're able to make you racing up there too. So yeah, it would have been tough, but I think it would have been a really cool story to see that play out. But Nonetheless, I mean, I enjoyed racing with you, and I think it was uh, it was for sure a crazy night for, for both of us. 
Yeah, it, it was. And it was up and down night uh, with that wreck halfway on the back stretch. What was that? Five or six to go. You got in the back of the 19 as he was spinning and it wouldn't knock a hole in your oil cooler or something. What happened there? Yeah. Uh, for the second time in three weeks, I run the back of the 19 with like 15, 16 laps to go. Uh, it happened about two weekends ago at Indianapolis road course when uh, they pulled out the, the metal curbing and we just had the launch pad there. Uh, Martin was slowing down as anybody really should have been for a crash happening. And I was desperate to get, get points. So I tried to be cold trickle, come through the smoke. And I saw Michael McDowell's driver's side door and Martin Truex's back bumper. And I picked Martin, but uh, yeah, the last, I, I've been running the back of him quite a bit here, unfortunately. And, and both times I've ran into him, I've absolutely destroyed our oil cooler. Uh, but the good news is, is by going through that process two weekends prior uh, when it happened again, literally the exact same way with the same car, uh, my engine tutor, Matt Lombardi, was prepped, ready to go, and we got it fixed right away. The The thing that just took the longest amount of time to get cleared up was just all the oil left in the lines that we did bypass. It was just slowly but surely coming out of the car as we um, had that red flag and everything else. So that that move alone is almost like a blessing in disguise because your team was equipped, ready to go, knowing the lines they needed to do, knew what fittings they had to connect that ultimately saved you enough spots to where you transferred and Austin didn't grant Austin got caught up in that last wreck, uh, which was, which was pretty wild, but going this weekend, man, two out of these next three races, uh, go right in your wheelhouse with Bristol and Darlington somewhere. You can run the top and get the top going. How do you feel about your eight teams chance to get to the round of 12? I really like it. To be honest, Corey, one particular detail that at the moment of the race and everything that had transpired just to qualify in and be that 16th seat in the playoffs. You know, we did finish fifth with a completely destroyed Cheddar's race car, but because of that fifth place finish that we got after, I think something got reviewed to where I think me and the 77 to Justin Haley swap positions. And then with Busher being disqualified, I ended up with the fifth. And one detail I didn't think about is, is how that plays into our qualifying metric going into Darlington. Obviously, they aren't official numbers, but, you know, the first place I went and looked uh, after the race was over, I'm like, well, I better go look at Bob Pockers' Twitter, see, like, where he's got us projected. As of right now, it looks like it could be starting seventh, and and that in itself is huge for just getting this playoff started right, because from myself in the 15th seed to sixth or seventh, there's only about 13 points, and if you get a get off to a good start at Darlington, it's a long race, it's tough to pass, it's tough to race the track, uh, we could be looking at negating and, and getting ahead and cutting away in this deficit that we have just already in race one. I think that's a great opportunity in front of us uh, on Sunday. I don't want to get too far off topic of what the mission is in front of you, but you were one of the few guys that have tested the new car at Darlington. The result wasn't favorable. You, you cut a tire and spun out, banged it up a little bit, but I wanted to kind of pick your brand a little bit and also, you know, kind of enlighten the listeners on what to expect versus the cars we're going to see this coming weekend versus what we're going to have next year. Well, for sure. There's definitely a lot of differences under the hood, under the the body of this car as well. I may have played a part in, in them having to repave turn two at Darlington when I when I spun this thing out and it was on the wear blocks sliding across the track. I may have I may have sped up the process of them having to fix turn two over there. That might be my fault. But what I do know is takeoff speed was very comparable to what we raced at Darlington in the spring. I'd say it's maybe a half a second faster, but the biggest difference I noticed right away that the viewers will notice based off the tire we tested, we tried a few different combinations, harder, softer, is that in 25-ish laps was about the most I could go. 
we were having tire wear issues, obviously, because Darlington's a, an abrasive track and you need a lot of cars out there to kind of work it in so the tires don't come apart as, as quickly. I mean, you know, I like to drive it and hang it sideways. Like I wasn't putting this thing around. We saw about five seconds of tire fall off in 25 laps. It was incredibly challenging to drive and a lot of fun to drive. And a, a big product of that is the less side force built into the body. It's completely symmetrical as compared to the current generation cup car. There's some you know, shape built into the right side that really holds some extra side force in these cars. And then on top of that, the tire width and the sidewall profile of the next gen versus the current car is really different as well. I mean, the sidewall is about half the height and that means there's more grip when you have it. Um, but as we see with like IndyCar and sports car racing, when you step over that grip limit, it falls away quicker. So it's a lot more challenging to drive that paired with that side force that has been taken away. The cars are a handful, but really fun. So you're going to see a lot more comers and goers. Like a lot of guys probably don't fire off so good. And you can kind of hedge your bet towards the back end of the run. Like we saw kind of in the, what people like to call quote unquote, the good old days, which I believe we're in currently, but people want to look at, you know, races 20 years ago and talk about they're the good old days. We're going to have a little bit of both. Now I know it's hard to say, cause you're only there a single car test. Uh, I was actually after the race last night, the next time we'll be at Daytona will be a next gen car. And we will have no clue how those things race in a pack. How do you anticipate those things racing around each other with the diffusers, the belly pan, and different tires? Then you, you've driven them, and not many people have. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's a really tough one to say because I got to drive it at Darlington with the lower downforce levels, very similar to what we raced, spoiler-wise and splitter-wise, if you will, to what we raced there earlier this year. I would imagine what we race on the super speedways will have more overall downforce with the bigger spoiler a couple of different things underneath the car that we didn't have at, at Darlington. So honestly, it's, it's really hard to say based off of what I felt at Darlington, maybe the only thing I, that I could pick up on is, you know, we can get away with quite a bit right now. Uh, I feel like with the car that we have and the tire we have, and I just think potentially with the different sidewall, you will see cars, you know, just be edgier when they do have a slip, it's going to be harder to catch. So drivers will have to play safe and wait to the end to get more aggressive. It'll be hard to say, but uh, the cars are definitely going to be more challenging to drive. And I think that's something that's been needing to come down the line now for a number of years. Yeah, I agree with that. Back to the here and now. It had to be an interesting dynamic over the last couple of weeks, being that you and your teammate are fighting head-to-head -head for the last seat at the playoff table. Do you think the conversations or the competition meetings are going to be any different or maybe a little bit more uh, compatible or more cooperation, I guess, between you guys now that you aren't fighting for the same goal leading into the playoff? I, I don't honestly think much will change. For sure, a lot of a lot of outsiders looking in really thought the whole dynamic of, of how everything was, was working on the week-to-week -week or day-to-day -day inside the shop prepping cars and figuring out what we're going to take and what not to uh, changed. It really didn't. If anything, I really felt like the last month uh, of races we've had here when it started to really become clear, me and him are going to have to race amongst ourselves that if anything, we're working closer together. The cars we were taking to the racetrack were even closer than, than they've been all year long uh, at the road courses, Michigan and, and the super speedway race that we just had at Daytona. So yeah, I, unfortunately we can't really work together to, to score points or lock ourselves in, uh, especially once we got to Daytona. But uh, the work effort that the whole shop's been putting into the two cars was really, really even. So um, I don't think anything will really change now. You know, it's hard to say 
what the three's plan exactly is from, from this point going forward, but I know they're going to continue to work to try and make the most out of this car and continue to try and grow as a team and get prepared for the next step in the next season. But uh, we've honestly worked really well together this year, um, you know, with Sim and the differences in, in driving styles, uh, the difference in crew chiefs, they've all kind of really meshed well together. Well, it's no question the RCR definitely was in contention a lot more and more consistently this year. One last question before we go into Would You Rather. You're one of the guys out of the small handful of we have actually witnessed like this transformation of fitness. You went from being a little chubby Xfinity Series champion to now you are uh, one of the more in shape guys on a Sunday afternoon. Like when did you take your fitness serious and how do you think it better helps you uh, during an event? It may not appear that way based on the gut that I was carrying around, but for five, six years, it was a very large part of my routine throughout the week to go work out. I was just mainly doing it once, once a day, maybe working out four times a week, five times a week, and totally just changed that into doing two a days, maybe sometimes more so at the beginning of the year and at the end of last year, doing a, a third cardio workout at the end of the day, just, just really spending a lot of time, you know, exercising and I didn't really know what to expect or how much it was going to change going into the year. But the one thing I noticed right away is I always feel like I, I push really hard throughout the whole race, but I just didn't understand how much further I could take it. Being in, in better shape, having less fat on my body means I get, I get warmer now, but there's good technology out there to help keep me cooler in the car. We started to focus some more uh, in different areas to help continue to keep me cooler. And I think I've just been able to continue bit by bit, find ways to keep pushing harder and harder for longer in these races. It's kind of a learning process. Sometimes you go too hard too early. Uh, Darlington, the beginning of this year, I felt that way about that. But uh, it's been a fun process. I didn't really know or have like a, a plan of what I wanted in, you know, three months, four months, five months. I just went into it. I'm just going to work as hard as I can and we'll see what changes. And it was about November, December in the off season where three, four months of just that elevated next level of, of taking fitness seriously, then my body started to change and things started to go a certain direction. So it was really cool to see that. It's really exciting to be able to go in the off season and have goals or, or work towards something and accomplish those. Uh, it's motivational. It's got me excited and it's a ways out yet, but I definitely have some more, more goals that I want to set out for myself, maybe physically, mentally for, for next year with this new car coming. That's right. Never stop improving. But what we're going to do before we leave, this is your first time on second page, we do a would you rather, three questions. We used to prepare these. We used to talk about them like, oh, that's a good one, that's a bad one. Now we don't. Now I just come up with them off the hip. Question number one. This We've got, used this earlier in the show, earlier in the year. Would you rather race 7500 with no air conditioning or no spotter? That's that's a tough one, man. Um, with how hot these cars have been and how hot uh, I felt this year, if I was fat, I think I could, I'd go with, I'd go with my spotter, ditch the air conditioning, but as little as I am now, I feel like I really have to have some sort of air getting to me. So I'd probably have to go with air conditioning. Unfortunately, I love Derek, but I, I wouldn't even make it past halfway right now. I'd say I get too hot. They're so hot. Now we'll get this second question in a minute, but you just touched on it and I wanted to bring it back. So you could explain there are some listeners of the show. have always asked about what the cord is. I'm assuming you wear a Rennie suit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So explain to the listeners what that Rennie or what that hose looks like in a umbilical cord hanging out your suit or a lot of guys' suits are. Yeah, well, it's just a, a system I, I'd heard about 
Um, you see some drivers use it, some don't. We had one sitting around, I think, from when Ty Dillon used it or, or somebody. Uh, and they just wanted to try it out one weekend in Nashville. And unfortunately, we were at it the wrong way. And I, I basically like had hot water pumping through myself because I started my air conditioning unit and the Rini system of cool air. So that was really bad. I got really hot at Nashville, but we got it working right. And it just applies. It, it brings cool fluids in through your shirt uh, and it circulates through a through a kind of a little air conditioned box, much like what we use for our helmets. Um, but it applies cool, cool water directly to your body and it really helps keep the core temperature down. And that's something that I'd say over the last six, seven months I've had more issues with than just my head and getting hot up here is uh, with less fat and around here to insulate as crazy as that sounds i've been getting warmer but it's been a good uh good tool since we started using it interesting all right question number two speaking of fat would you rather drink nothing but racetrack lemonade for a month or eat nothing but cheddar's honey croissants for a month racetrack lemonade is that like the gas station lemonade no it's racetrack lemonade racetrack lemonade i never had racetrack lemonade man i i mean this one's pretty easy for me uh, because I've, I've done it and it's worked for me. So I'm going to go with the Cheddar's Honey Butter Croissants. I, I think last year during the pandemic, I was just living purely off of those. I got pretty large, but I was very happy. Yeah. Uh, well, that was a softball. Yeah. Well, I mean, we were doing a lot of social content and shoots and this and that last year, and they would bring out plates of like 30, 40 of them, and I couldn't help myself. I mean, I would eat them all. Or like, let's reshoot that again. I want to eat another one. I ate a lot of them. They are tasty. Question number three. If you had to pick one race car, any era, any car, and one racetrack, what would you pick? That, that's a tough one because I've watched some races of the COT cars before they went away from the, the wing to the just the regular spoiler. Those looked really fun. But I think for me, just because of how we're still pretty close to what they're like, for me, I, I'd say it would have been that 2018, 2017 era with the high horsepower and, and no downforce with the soft tires when we run at places like, you know, Chicago, th that era. Uh, I'd want to run that cup car with, you know, that steel body at, at Homestead. Really would have loved to know what the fall off and the feel and how much you would have had to pedal it. As much as people think, you know, I like bouncing off the fence and running, running up high, which I do love running the fence. Uh, you know, having the steel bodies is really nice for me because with the composite bodies, you can just bounce off it quite a bit and there's real no penalty. You don't cut a tire right away. Uh, the steel body, you know, you can hit it a little bit and you're fine, but if you if you really hit it hard, uh, your day's over. And so I really enjoy that uh, level of precision you have to have with those cars. So that's one I'd go with. Dude, when you get ripping the fence, I mean, people talk about Kyle Larson running the fence. I could argue that you're the best rim ripper in the Cup Series um, because when you get the top going to Homestead or Darlington, you're like, how can that sucker – like, <laughs> and you said it, level of precision. That's it for me. Like, I could narrow my focus – like a damn monk and i still would just inevitably hit the wall and you do it for hundreds of miles man and i think junior does a little a pretty good job of explaining it to the fans in the broadcast of like the level of precision it takes to drive a hundred thirty six hundred pound car 180 miles an hour literally inches away from the wall and you're one of the best at it so i wish you luck this weekend i appreciate you jumping on the show yeah thank you and uh Darlington's a fun one to run, but I, I feel like it's one of those places you actually don't really run the fence. You have to pick and choose where you want to be by it, but uh, that's what makes it so easy to get into the fence. But uh, thank you, and I'm looking forward to it. You say that now, and that eight car is going to – you won't be able to fit a damn Cheddar's Honey Biscuit in between that and the fence, I can promise you. 
No, you wouldn't be able to fit a honey cheddar's honey biscuit because they don't have them yet. But you might be able to fit a honey butter croissant after I've ate like all but this much of it. Nailed it. See you, dog. Thanks. And there you heard it from the man himself, Tyler Reddick. Interested to see how deep he goes in the playoffs. But uh, Merriman, let's see who punches their ticket the first week of the playoffs and gets that round 12. Let's hear some jackpot races we got. All right, 25 grand on the line again this week. Group one, Kyle Larson, Denny Hamlin, Kyle Busch, Chase Elliott, Martin Truex Jr., and Kevin Harvick. Stout group in group number one. Yeah, I don't I mean I know you got to pick one, but you're not any any four of them, five of them guys are not bad choices. But uh, Larson was hunting down Martin Truex Jr. in the first race when we were there for Mother's Day. I, I, I've said it. I've said it earlier this today in backseat drivers. I'll say it again. I think this is where Denny Hamlin gets in victory lane this year. I, I'll go. Uh, I'll go with a with a another Gibbs car, but I think um, Martin Truex sweeps the year at Darlington and. Uh, breaks through punches his way to the round of 12 i'm going to uh go out on a limb and say that uh kyle larson returns to victory lane and the five car uh gets that darlington uh trophy all right i'll take larson as well group two william byron joey logano brad keselowski if that front tire changer is any good uh ryan blaney alex bowman and uh kurt bush chuck you're gonna pick kurt bush because you always <laughs> I am not do. though i'm uh Corey, who are you taking? I'll, I'll be completely honest. I didn't listen to what you were saying whatsoever. <laughs> Byron, Logano, Kozlowski, Blaney, Bowman, or Kurt Busch? I mean, Byron runs sneakily, sneakily well there. He was on the pole there a couple, a couple years ago. Yeah, I know I just put him uh, on blast for being in the first group out of the playoffs, but I do think William Byron has a strong run this week. I'm going to go out on the limb and say the two-car because it's not a road course. I'm going to say that it is the uh, 12 car and the 12 car. Not saying not saying that he gets the win, but this is the best finish, like better finish out of that group, right? So that that's I, I think he continues his hot streak uh, and performs well. I'll take Willie B. All right, third group: Tyler Reddick, Austin Dillon, Christopher Bell, Matt De Benedetto, Eric Almirola, and Michael McDowell. Tyler Reddick, he's got the mo and he gets around there well, so I, I don't. Don't even you don't even need to answer Chuck or Ryan. Tyler Reddick <laughs> out of that group. I was gonna say it was his teammate, the three that uh, bounces back and uh, says no, he could have been matter. in contention. Huh? It doesn't matter anymore. He's out. Okay. All right. Uh, fair point. Fair point. And there you have it. That's all you need to know. Jackpot races. Go download the app. Get your chance to win twenty five thousand dollars. Almost like Clint. You can win my money. Just go there. Download the app. You can win my money. And Ice Cold Blue Mountain takes head to jump off quick. So now it's just the three amigos on here closing the show. Chuck, what we have? What we have for a little spare change? Well, I mean, you know, the big one, another uh, horribly kept secret in the NASCAR Cup Series garage is that the 2311-23XI Denny Hamlin Michael Jordan venture is expanding to a second car and bringing in Kurt Busch in the number 45. In addition to the video, they get Kurt walking off his jet, walking over to the car. Also, a pseudo announcement that the numbers are moving forward. I, I said that that was going to hill. I was going to be a die. I was going to die on. It's not. Uh, I don't <laughs> mind it. I think 
that you can make it look as good or as crappy as you want to. I think that if you can mess around with the schemes a little bit, you can make a forward smaller number scheme look look pretty good. Now, my question was, how did they get a next-gen red chassis car? Yeah. That was my question. That shit is already illegal. <laughs> they already got cheated up damn show car. <laughs> You can't paint it. It ain't Dale Earnhardt's car. You don't get to choose your colors like you're building a damn, I don't know, fill in the blank. But is that a is that a harbinger of things to come? I mean, talk about the window net things. No, it isn't. I asked this question. I'm like, can you run different color chassis? No, was the answer. Yeah. That's the answer I got. So my, it's probably, but that thing was probably just a, they just put the body on it. Yeah, no, it's probably the TRD test car or the original one that they were driving around and they painted it red to make it different because it's TRD's colors, I will say. But they're already breaking the rules. I'm watching them guys, Chuck. I'm watching them. I honestly hope that please, maybe, please, somebody at NASCAR, like, let, let, let paint the chassis. Like, that, like that, that, that look is cool to me. I love Don't that. Don't paint them. Powder coat them. Oh yeah, yeah. Powder coat. I thought it looked. Totally I thought it looked horrendous. <laughs> now, now I will say, you know, I feel like you should be able to go to the NASCAR and D Center and like, you know, order a next gen car, kind of like you do a, you know, a, a double double with cheese at In and Out, even though they taste terrible. Like, yeah, give me the, uh, give me that silver chassis. Yeah, I'll take a, uh, I'll take a number two, a Chevy Camaro body, please. Yeah, I'll, yeah, thanks. I mean, it should be, you should have some options. You shouldn't have to, they shouldn't have to. You don't have an option. You get what you get and you don't pitch a fit. And that's I mean, that what is, you are going to get with the next gen car. That's, that's NASCAR though. You get an off gray color. I presume because it looks clean. I don't know. Maybe it's just the way we've always done it. Who's to say? I don't know. But what we do know is Kurt is back for a multi-year deal. Not just next year. He is there for a multi-year deal bringing out the 45 he ain't here to play games with you what was that what was that rapper that said that Chuck? <laughs> i don't know jay-z jay-z it was yeah. jay-z one thing i saw um that i didn't think of right away but that denny touched on it was this conversation with kyle petty about running that number did you see that yeah i did see that. that was a big deal yeah that i mean it's it's cool to see the 45 back out there and the fact that they went to Kyle and talked to him about it. Like, I mean, you know, this obviously means a lot to the Petty family. Um, but it's cool to see that number out there. It is cool. Especially if the, you know, they're aware and, and they went and asked and got Kyle's good graces and, you know, and, and you can kind of, you know, do some throwback stuff to, to Adam and, yeah. And, and make it cool. So, and it's got, you know, that number has significance to Michael Jordan, too. Like that, you know, that was his number as well. So it's cool to see the 23 and the 45 out there from a, you know, a GOAT perspective and Michael Jordan owning the team. He's got his numbers. That is true. Which is probably why that red uh, was in there, because, you know, that Jordan brand, it's, it's kind of in that uh, Chicago Bulls uh, sort of uh, style. No, no, you're, you're looking a little bit too much into it, Chuck. It, it is what it is. I thought it was the Washington Wizards. <laughs> we, we forget about those days. He tries hey, to. one thing that was cool this weekend, Corey, uh, that I didn't mention to you, and we were just talking about with Reddick there at the end, but the front view of your car with the penny helmet, with the yeah. gold helmet, looked badass. 
Yeah, when the come on the back stretch, you can see it. Yeah, yeah, well, like through the trial, but when they show it, so shout out to Greg on that. I was like, damn, that thing looks cool. Your shoes questionable. My shoes are dialed. <laughs> you look like Travis Pastrana. You had the 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 suit that went into the shoes. Yeah, it looked it was cool. That's my life motto. If you can't be good, you got to look good. Hey, you can make excuses for everything else, right? Blame it on the pit crew. Blame it on motor tire got went flat. If you don't look good, you can't make excuse for that. I, I do have a question about lo- looking good and feeling good. Uh, in the Tyler Reddick interview, he talked about being skinnier means you get hotter quicker. So, like, I'm staying cooler by being fatter? I believe I need to go fact check that, but it makes sense. I'm just going to start eating more then. <laughs> I've never been as hot in, in a car as I have been this year. I've generally been within, you know, like 14 to 11 and a half percent body fat but this year i've cleaned it up and started working out pretty heavy and i'm around that nine percent body fat and and i'm hot instantly it's 10 laps in the race i'm like dang it's burning up maybe i need a dang you know layer of blubber instantly me a little bit i was sweating in daytona and i'm carrying a layer of blubber so <laughs> when you're hot it really did like it doesn't matter when it's that hot it you could be you know 90 pounds or 390 pounds and you're still gonna sweat that is the truth Hey, there it is. Thank you for listening to Stacking Pennies. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review, all the stuff. Make sure you tell people you love the podcast. I love it when I'm walking through the garage. People yell Stacking Pennies. So everybody that yells Stacking Pennies, Daytona, shouts you out. And shout out to the guy that I saw the flag, the seven flag in Daytona rolling into the track. A flag and a sticker. Joshua. So you you found him. I found him. So... He was wearing a hat, wearing a shirt. I think he runs the, uh, there's a Team Super Shoe Facebook page that he runs. Uh, a lot of good content on there. Seeing him, met him for the first time. I said, Chuck sent a picture of some Chevy Silverado with every decal that we make <laughs> and the flag. He goes, yeah, that was mine. So there you go. All right. You should have fought him because he found me. You heard it here. Corey LaJoy knows his fans by name. I do. And I'm bad with names, but every person's fan of me, I'm a fan of theirs. And I appreciate y'all, Penny Stackers. Tune in next week, talk about a little Darlington stuff. Who knows, maybe the seven be up there slicing and dicing again, never know.